Chapter 5 of Vanished Arizona. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Darsh. Vanished Arizona Recollections of the Army Life of a New England Woman by Martha Summerhays. Chapter 5 The Slough. At last, after a voyage of thirteen days, we came to anchor a mile or so off Port Isabel, at the mouth of the Colorado River. A narrow but deep slough runs up into the desert land, on the east side of the river's mouth, and provides a harbor of refuge for the flat-bottomed stern-wheelers which meet the ocean steamers at this point. Hurricanes are prevalent at this season in the Gulf of California, but we had been fortunate in not meeting with any on the voyage. The wind now freshened, however, and beat the waves into angry foam, and there we lay for three days on the Newburn, off Port Isabel, before the sea was calm enough for the transfer of troops and baggage to the lighters. This was excessively disagreeable. The wind was like a breath from a furnace. It seemed as though the days would never end, and the wind never stopped blowing. Jack's official diary says, One soldier died today. Finally, on the fourth day, the wind abated, and the transfer was begun. We boarded the river steamboat Cocopa, towing a barge loaded with soldiers, and steamed away for the slough. I must say that we welcomed the change with delight. Towards the end of the afternoon, the Cocopa put her nose to the shore and tied up. It seemed strange not to see pier sand docks nor even piles to tie to. Anchors were taken ashore and the boat secured in that manner, there being no trees of sufficient size to make fast to. The soldiers went into camp on shore. The heat down in that low, flat place was intense. Another man died that night. What was our chagrin the next morning to learn that we must go back to the Newburn to carry some freight from upriver? There was nothing to do but stay on board and tow that dreary barge, filled with hot, red, baked-looking ore, out to the ship, unload, and go back up the slough. Jack's diary records, August 23rd, heat awful. Pringle died today. He was the third soldier to succumb. It seemed to me their fate was a hard one. To die down in that wretched place, to be rolled in a blanket and buried on those desert shores, with nothing but a heap of stones to mark their graves. The adjutant of the battalion read the burial service, and the trumpeter stepped to the edge of the graves and sounded taps, which echoed sad and melancholy far over those parched and arid lands. My eyes filled with tears, for one of the soldiers was from our own company, and had been kind to me. Jack said, You mustn't cry, Maddie. It's a soldier's life, and when a man enlists, he must take his chances. Yes, but, I said, somewhere there must be a mother or sister or someone who cares for these poor men, and it's all so sad to think of. Well, I know it is sad, he replied soothingly, but listen, it is all over and the burial party is returning. I listened and heard the gay strains of the girl I left behind me, which the trumpeters were playing with all their might. You see, said Jack, it would not do for the soldiers to be sad when one of them dies. Why, it would demoralize the whole command. So they play these gay things to cheer them up. And I began to feel that tears must be out of place at a soldier's funeral. I attended many a one after that, but I had too much imagination, and in spite of all my brave efforts, Visions of the poor boy's mother on some little farm in Missouri, or Kansas perhaps, 
or in some New England town, or possibly in the old country, would come before me, and my heart was filled with sadness. The post-hospital seemed to me a lonesome place to die in, although the surgeon and the soldier attendants were kind to the sick men. There were no women nurses in the army in those days. The next day the Cocopa started again and towed a barge out to the ship, but the hot wind sprang up and blew fiercely, and we lay off and on all day until it was calm enough to tow her back to the slough. By that time I had about given up all hope of getting any farther, and if the weather had only been cooler, I could have endured with equanimity the idle life and knocking about from the ship to the slough and from the slough to the ship. But the heat was unbearable. We had to unpack our trunks again and get out heavy-soled shoes, for the zinc which covered the decks of these river steamers burned through the thin slippers we had worn on the ship. That day we had a little diversion, for we saw the gila come down the river and up the slough and tie up directly alongside of us. She had on board and in barges four companies of the 23rd Infantry who were going into the States. We exchanged greetings and visits, and from the great joy manifested by them all, I drew my conclusions as to what lay before us in the dry and desolate country we were about to enter. The women's clothes looked ridiculously old-fashioned, and I wondered if I should look that way when my time came to leave Arizona. Little cared they, those women of the 23rd, for joy upon joys. They saw the Newburn out there in the offing, waiting to take them back to green hills and to cool days and nights, and to those they had left behind three years before. On account of the wind, which blew again with great violence, the Cocopa could not leave the slough that day. The officers and soldiers were desperate for something to do, so they tried fishing and caught some croakers, which tasted very fresh and good after all the curried and doctored-up messes we had been obliged to eat on board ship. We spent seven days in and out of that slough. Finally, on August the 26th, the wind subsided and we started upriver. Toward sunset, we arrived at a place called Old Soldier's Camp. There, the Gila joined us, and the command was divided between the two river boats. We were assigned to the Gila and I settled myself down with my belongings for the remainder of the journey upriver. We resigned ourselves to the dreadful heat, and at the end of two more days the river had begun to narrow, and we arrived at Fort Yuma, which was at the time the post best known to and most talked about by Army officers of any in Arizona. No one except old campaigners knew much about any other post in the territory. It was said to be the very hottest place that ever existed, and from the time we left San Francisco, we had heard the story, oft repeated, of the poor soldier who died at Fort Yuma, and after a while returned to beg for his blankets, having found the regions of Pluto so much cooler than the place he had left. But the fort looked pleasant to us as we approached. It lay on a high mesa to the left of us, and there was a little green grass where the post was built. None of the officers knew as yet their destination, and I found myself wishing it might be our good fortune to stay, at Fort Yuma. It seems such a friendly place. Lieutenant Haskell, 12th Infantry, who was stationed there, came down to the boat to greet us, and brought us our letters from home. He then extended his gracious hospitality to us all, arranging for us to come to his quarters the next day for a meal, and dividing the party as best he could accommodate us. It fell to our lot to go to breakfast with Major and Mrs. Wells and Miss Wilkins. An ambulance was sent the next morning, at nine o'clock, 
to bring us up the steep and winding road, white with heat, which led to the fort. I can never forget the taste of the oatmeal with fresh milk, the eggs and butter, and delicious tomatoes, which were served to us in his latticed dining room. After twenty-three days of heat and glare, and scorching winds, and stale food, Fort Yuma and Mr. Haskell's dining room seemed like paradise. Of course it was hot. It was August, and we expected it. But the heat of those places can be much alleviated by the surroundings. There were shower baths, and latticed piazzas, and large ollas hanging in the shade of them, containing cool water. Yuma was only twenty days from San Francisco, and they were able to get many things direct by steamer. Of course there was no ice, and butter was kept only by ingenious devices of the Chinese servants. There were but few vegetables, but what was to be had in all that country was to be had at Fort Yuma. We stayed one more day and left two companies of the regiment there. When we departed, I felt somehow as though we were saying goodbye to the world and civilization, and as our boat clattered and tugged away upriver with its great wheel astern, I could not help looking back longingly to old Fort Yuma. End of chapter 5